Grace DC family and friends. And welcome to this third week of us gathering virtually. And I want to thank you for making the effort to log in and be here. I was thinking about the church in the first century, and it was undergoing a second wave of persecution. And the temptation was to not gather anymore in the face of the tribulation and trial. And the writer of the book of Hebrews reminded them saying, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As this uh, crisis continues, it's more and more important that we gather. Isolation uh, is something that creeps up on you, and we need to be intentional about fighting against that. And part of that is our worshiping together, although it is not a normal church service, it's still a gathering where God is present. And so if you go to the liturgy, you'll find a link underneath the video. Uh, would you join me as I lead us in a call to worship? You can respond um, under the section people, but I'll read all the parts. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. And we respond, Amen. We bless you, Lord. I was having a conversation with one of my neighbors yesterday. And he said something that I really have heard echoed in many conversations that I've had with those in the church and outside the church. And he said two things. One, this is such a strange and uneasy and uh, concerning time. But then he added, I also think there's a good part of it because it's grabbing our attention about important things in life. And I was thinking um, for Christians, in one hand, we can acknowledge this is an abnormal time. We don't float above the fear. We don't float above the threat of virus. Yet at the same time, we acknowledge that this is a thoroughly normal time, according to the world of the Bible. Because the Bible depicts a world where things like this happen all the time. And we have a long line of those that have gone before us. Plague that happened in the Middle Ages. Upwards of 200 million people died. And in the mid 13, and in that catechism, there's a reflection on what's called the providence of God, that God governs the affairs of the world that those that trust in him can be certain that not anything enters the gate of their life apart from his. And in the catechism, they also talk about the advantages of the providence of God. And I wanted to read that to you this morning, that we may be patient 
in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we may play our, place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. The prophet Isaiah says that our names are engraved in God's hands, and it's within those hands that he holds us. Let's keep that in mind as we take a moment and pray. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we first acknowledge that you are the same God of the Heidelberg Catechism, the same God of the Black Plague. You are the same God that existed and ruled in the times of uh, the biblical ages, the same God that was present in Holy Week. You are faithful. And because you're not surprised by trouble, we don't have to be either. And we acknowledge that you at the same time can both uh, hate the misery that sin has brought into the world, like disease and death, and yet at the same time can be determined to do good to your people, to show grace to the world, and we're asking that you would do that. We thank you already for the things that we see, whether it's the grace of modern medicine or the grace of modern technology that lets us have a moment like this. Or perhaps it's clearing out our heads um, and you're removing of cultural things we love, like music or sports. We have no choice but to think and meditate in a way that normally we wouldn't. We thank you for that. We thank you for every kind act that you've inspired. We thank you for restraining evil acts. And Lord, we pray today for um, first responders. We want to pray particularly for those in our community that are serving um, in hospitals, in social services, uh, those that are working on policy, having had conversations with some of them, uh, they are exhausted. It is nonstop. We pray, oh God, would you give them supernatural strength? Would you bring reinforcements? Would you bring relief when they need it? Would you make their downtime even more restful? Would you give them your Holy Spirit? We pray as well, Lord, uh, for those that have lost jobs and those facing economic certainty. Your name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Would you prove yourself to them, help them to put their trust in you, God. And we pray as a community of faith, we would be one family, that they would know that uh, you will provide through your people. And Lord God, we pray uh, for those that are in challenging living circumstances today, whether they're at home sick, whether God, they are um, at home with a bunch of kids and not a lot of room, for those that feel isolated, 
for those that are experiencing tension in their families. Oh God, we mourn when we hear about the rate of domestic violence going up during this time. We pray, Lord, that you would restrain that. And we pray, oh God, that you would provide these victims a place to go. Father, there are so many things that we need and we thank you that we don't bother you and we don't annoy you. You love when we ask you for things. You love to be our father. You love to be our high priest. And so would you loosen our lips that we might pray to you often. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you'll now turn your attention to the passage that's printed before you, Exodus 13, 17 through 22. I'd like to read this and then uh, share a few thoughts with you from the word of God. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and pray, and I want to give you uh, just a, a couple of seconds of silence to bring your concerns before God and ask him to um, use his word in your life. Father, would you hear our prayers in Christ's name? Amen. It wasn't because I don't think clothes are important. Uh, it wasn't because I'm against style. It was because I didn't like the feeling of not knowing where I was going. Let me explain. Um, in my life, my aesthetic coordinator is my wife, Meg. Or to put it more bluntly, she tells me what to wear. And so when we would go shopping, my experience was this. Meg naturally would be in front and there would be all the clothes racks before us and I would be behind her. We would take a few steps forward and bear a hard left, then a few more and stop suddenly and then move back another step and then forward right around another rack and then pause for a minute. And then we would circle the rack twice and then we would stop again and go back three steps, another hard left, another hard right. And the whole time I was following, I couldn't stand the feeling of not having control over where I was headed. And the whole world is in that situation right now. You and I are in that situation right now. We don't know where things are headed. 
we're being led. Things are out of our control. How bad is this virus going to get? When will the peak be? Will I get sick? Will someone I love get sick? Will they die? What about the economy? Will the stimulus package really help me, really help this business in my neighborhood? What about my children? What about their schooling? Many things. We just don't know where things are headed. I read an article this past week that said, uh, if we think about it this way, we're either experiencing a blizzard that in a, you know, a short time it'll be over, we'll come out of, or a season like winter that's going to go on, or maybe even a mini ice age. And each of us uh, attaches expectations to those things, don't we? For some of us, maybe our, our hope is attached and, well, this, this will be over soon. For others of us, every uh, negative and alarming report, catch, report catches our attention. This is our experience. We don't know where things are headed. And Israel had a similar experience in our passage. Uh, God has just defeated them. And for the first time, they're free from brutal slavery that they have experienced for 400 years. And under Moses' leadership, he then leads them out to the promised land. But probably the hardest task that they'll have before them is trusting God to drive. Trusting God to lead them. That's the hardest thing. And there are a couple truths about God's leadership that are evident in the scripture before us. And, and I want to look at them briefly together as we think about God leading us during this time. The first thing is that God leads us in mercy. He leads us in mercy. Uh, those of you uh, that have been here a while may have enjoyed hiking in Great Falls. They have the Billy Goat Trails, and you may know there's three different trails. They classify an A trail, a B trail, and a C trail. The A trail is the hardest, where it's going to be some vertical climbing, difficult climbing. The B trail is more moderate, but you're going to be scrambling over some rocks. And the C is more of like a nice hike, a walk through the forest. Now, to the A path and say, oh, let's go right up the rock. Of course not. Why? Because it's not a merciful path. It wouldn't be compassionate. The shortest route to Canaan for Israel ran along the north. But we're told that the Lord doesn't take them the shortest route. You can imagine them going, why are we going? Why aren't we going the most direct way? Maybe you followed someone in the car and you thought, why are they going this way? Well, maybe they have a traffic app that you don't have. God has an app that you and I don't have. The reason he doesn't take them that way is because he's merciful. What Israel doesn't know, that in the north, there's some imposing big bad armies. The superpower, Egypt. A growing power called the Philistines. God knew that his people were not physically or spiritually ready for that sort of conflict. And so he takes them by a different path. The, the text says they were equipped for battle, but you know, having helmet and shoulder pads doesn't mean you're ready to play. They weren't ready to play. And so he takes them south, uh, a less direct path to the edge of the wilderness. And he does this so he might show them compassion. 
Now, at the end of the 40 years of their journey, which they're just starting here, um, God explains to them why he took them on this less direct path. He says, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. We're experiencing a wilderness right now, a trial. And uh, they are bewildering, right? Trials. We're confused. It's scary. We don't understand the purpose. And yet God tells us one of his main purposes is that you and I might see what's in our hearts. And maybe you're already starting to see some of that. Maybe you've begun to see that, wow, I never knew that I was so fearful about my health or even where I would go after I die. I never understood, I, you know, or I never uh, saw how fearful I was that I can't keep my exercise regimen. I never realized how anxious I am uh, about money or that I looked to my job for meaning so much. I never uh, understood what I'm tempted toward when I'm bored, like I do now. All these different things that maybe your heart is showing, that you're not as patient as you thought. But there's something more than seeing your heart that God wants you to see, and that's his heart. While Israel is in the wilderness, and it happened not long after this, they're in great need of God's forgiveness. And God grants it to them. And after that time, Moses says, God, I, I want to know more of you. Would you show yourself to me? Show me your glory. And so God does that. He people of Israel to know is this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. God may not take us by the shortest route, my friends. He may not take us on an easy route. He may not take us on a direct route, but he will take us in this time on the most merciful route. Because this is the character of who he is. He who says that he will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a flickering candle. He who says that he knows our frames are dust. He who says that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. It's this one that entered our wilderness 2,000 years ago and walked with us for 30 years and bore the brunt of the worst that the world can offer. God will be merciful. He will lead us in mercy. The second thing is that God leads us in power. We're told but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the Red Sea is that great salvation deliverance event of the Old Testament where God uh, pushes back the water, blows back the water with his wind, allows Israel to cross, and then brings the water down on Israel's enemies in judgment. But to accomplish this, you know what he has to do? He has to trap his people. He has to corner his people. So they have nowhere to go. He leads them south where they have nowhere to turn but wait for him to act. When uh, one of my daughters was about three or four years old, she hated getting shots. Now, I know all kids hate getting shots, but uh, she hated them so much that it would take a doctor, her mother, 
and one to two very strong nurses to hold her down, to hold down a three or four-year-old so she could get the medicine that she needed. You know, God has to often pin us down, corner us, quarantine us, that he shows so he can show us salvation. You know, more than any other event in the Bible, this is the one that God reminds his people of Israel in the Old Covenant. He's constantly bringing up this idea of what happened at the Red Sea. Before the Ten Commandments, he mentions the Red Sea. Before he talks about social justice for the poor, he mentions the Red Sea. In the Psalms, we have poems about what happened at the Red Sea. The prophets again bring up the Red Sea. Why? Because it was the time where God was teaching his people that he has to fight for us before he can fight through us. That we are in need of his saving power before it can become serving power. This is what he wanted to teach Israel. This is what he teaches everybody that follows him, even great leaders like the Apostle Paul. In the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about a thorn that he's experiencing. It's some physical malady, most likely. And he says in his recounting of this that he begged God three times to take it away. Have you ever begged God for anything? Begged God for the health of someone you love? begged God that he would take away some sort of fear and anxiety in your life. Beg God that he would do this and do that. He begged the Lord, but he didn't take away the thorn. Instead, he actually gave him something more lasting. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. How did Paul move from begging to boasting? He came to understand the saving power of Christ. When you look at Jesus Christ, he had both a passive power. That is a power not to sin, even a power to submit to injustice and a death and a judgment that was not his own. It was ours that he bore. He had a passive power, but he also had an active power whereby he healed people. He showed mercy, he forgave, and he rose from the dead. The Bible says that that same power, that very same power, is at work in those that believe. For those of us that embrace Christ, embrace the Son of God, that very same power, the book of Ephesians says, it's an immeasurable power. It's the working of his great might in you and I. And it's that very power that he's leading us in right now, in this moment. But first we have to see that he'll fight for us before he can fight through us. Thirdly, God leads us in faithfulness. I was reading an article about um, a famous Bible. And it was a Bible uh, held by a World War I veteran. He was 17 years old. His name was Leonard Knight. And his aunt had given him the Bible. He was from England. And he carried it into war. He actually carried it in his breast. And uh, it's famous because it has a bullet hole in it. Actually, a bullet that penetrated the hard cover and went 50 pages in but stopped and saved his life. And that Bible has been handed down from generation to generation in their family. 
Well, I tell you that story because it helps us make sense of the bones of Joseph. We read this verse in here and think, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, we're told, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. You see, these bones are preaching something. The Lord had revealed to Joseph, and if you know Joseph's story, uh, it's an incredible story. He was actually a victim of human trafficking, and he spent 10 years, some would argue his most productive years in his 20s to 30s, imprisoned, stuck, not in the place where he wanted to be, wrongly imprisoned. But then, by God's mercy, he ends up uh, toward the end of his life as the second in command in Egypt. And in that place of leadership, God reveals to him the future. God reveals to him that the people of Israel will suffer brutal enslavement, but they will be delivered from it. The book of Hebrews says this, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So you see, the people had been talking about those. Those bones could preach. Those bones were a, a visible sign to them that God would lead them out of that slavery, that God would make good on his promise at some point. And so they kept those bones. And as they carried those bones, those bones remind them that God would continue to be faithful to them. And then later, God did a greater sign for us. And that came through the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, whose bones didn't stay in the grave, who resurrected from the dead. And this would become the sign for the world that God would lead us in faithfulness, even through the worst times. I would ask you, uh, what signs has God given you in your life? Maybe, and I'm talking about little signs. And, and whether you are someone that uh, is a professing Christian or not today, you're probably aware that God did something for you. Maybe it's a sign of a, a kindness that was done to you. Maybe it's the sign of God answering a prayer or when God became real to you. Maybe it's a sign of something miraculous he did in your life. Maybe it's a sign of the body of Christ. That everybody has a story of God's faithfulness. But sometimes you don't remember your stories until you make a scrapbook, right? All of us have many things in our lives, and then uh, someday someone sits down and does a scrapbook, and there it's laid before you. I, I want to urge you during this time to make a scrapbook of faith. You and I are going to need to carry that through this time. We're going to need to have the stories of God's faithfulness in our life, uh, not somewhere uh, hidden and buried under a bed in a box. We're going to need them on the tip of our tongue, on the forefront of our mind, closest to our heart. It's a theophany. That is a visible appearance of God to human beings. Uh, and the pillar and the cloud are really, uh, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are really rich symbols throughout the Bible. They, they uh, speak of God's protection. In fact, when Pharaoh begins to pursue Israel before the Red Sea, the cloud comes between the two to protect Israel. Where the cloud is a covering for Israel. It's guidance. They know when to, to move and stay according to when the cloud and the fire move. 
The cloud represents wisdom, but also the fire represents purity and holiness. But more so, more than anything there, the cloud and the fire represented the constant presence of the Lord himself. We're told it did not depart. It never departed. It's a well-known truth in child development that the thing that kids need most of all is a consistent, loving presence in their life. Instability causes lots of problems. And it's more than just showing up, right? It's being a consistent presence that's healthy in their lives. It wasn't just the Lord showed up every day. It It was who he was, the way he provided food. He provided water. He provided relief. It's become commonplace in our day to refer to God as an energy, a force, the universe. But doesn't that fall flat right now? Isn't what we're really longing for is a person? And this is the unique teaching of the Christian faith, that God is personal. He has always been personal. Our personhood comes from him. In fact, he's so personal that he came in person, that the pillar of cloud was just a sign pointing toward the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the one who is utterly pure, the one who would cover us with his own blood and life so that our sins might be forgiven. It might be you've been reading this passage and you've become envious of Israel going, gee, I wish I'd wake up tomorrow and there'd be a pillar of cloud and a fire, something I could see. Or maybe I wish I lived in the time of the apostles so at least I could touch Jesus. But actually, we're in the most advantageous time. We today have the greatest benefit because it's not that we just can see God or touch God. God is in us. This is the promise. This is why Jesus said it will actually be better for you that uh, I go up to heaven. It'll be better for you because I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit of God, and he will actually dwell inside you. And so, my friends, um, God couldn't be more personal than he is now. Are you yielding to his presence? Are you making space to become available to that presence? Are you moving from God being a mere force to being someone who is real and loving? Someone who is fully, we're not going around in circles. We're not even wandering. The truth of the matter is we're being led right now. We're being led in mercy. We're being led in power. We're being led in faithfulness. And we're being led in person. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the incredible um, revelation of Jesus Christ. What it means to us that you're not far off and distant, but that you indeed came in flesh and blood. You bore our infirmities. There is no nightmare scenario for any Christian, anybody that trusts in you. Not even sickness and death is a nightmare to us. 
We thank you for blazing the trail. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would allow this word to take root and bear fruit in Christ's name. I want to encourage you to, um, after we finish here, to look at the songbook and maybe sing through a few songs if you've got a small community in your family, or just read the lyrics, or maybe find the songs on YouTube. To let uh, music has a way of uh, um, singing the truth into our hearts. It brings us something. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And, and I also want to end by uh, proclaiming God's good word upon you, his people, his word of grace. Now to him who can keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, authority, and power before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God's blessing to you today on the Sabbath, and may the Lord bless you and keep you.